0: Welcome to Bookstore Explorer, the show where we go behind the shelves with booksellers and occasionally other bookish folks to celebrate the magic of independent bookstores. I'm author and bookseller Matt Browning, and today is one of those very special bookstore explorers where we welcome one of those other bookish folks to the show. My guest is Julia Pastel, essayist, radio personality, and co-host of one of my favorite podcasts, Literary Disco. i want to go ahead and label her a bit of a podcasting pioneer. Literary Disco has been around for over a decade. Uh, Co-hosted by actor and filmmaker writer Strong and novelist and critic Todd Goldberg, the three of them have opened my eyes to so many of what have become some of my favorite books. They've been on a bit of a hiatus for a little while, uh, which we get into into the show. And while it's how I learned about Julia Pastel, literary disco is just one aspect of quite the literary life. On today's show, we discuss her favorite bookshops and bookstore experiences, but she also tells us about her time working at the Mark Twain House, interviewing some amazing writers like Joan Didion and George Saunders. And she answers that burning question, is literary disco coming back? She was on my list of people I wanted to invite on when I brought in the show outside of the bookselling realm this season. And I am thrilled for you guys to hear this episode. So come along as we go bookstore exploring with Julia Pastel. Julia Pastel, welcome to Bookstore Explorer. Thanks for uh, joining me. Oh,
1: thank you so much for having me on. The second best thing to going to a bookstore is talking about bookstores,
0: so (laughs) (laughs) ready to rock. (laughs) I'm fanboying a little bit because I have been a fan of your podcast and you for, I don't know, what, 10 or you guys started about 2000 and what, 12 or something like it that? It
1: was 2012. Yeah. Yeah, I know exactly when it was because that same year like a lot of very exciting things happened um in my life. So it was just a really good year. Uh yeah, 2012. You were we kind of it.
0: you were you were podcasting, I won't say before. But <laughs> I mean, a little bit before it has exploded to what it is now.
1: 100%. I remember distinctly Writer describing to me um, a couple of movie podcasts. He's like, "Go listen to these," and I only listened to one podcast at the time, and it it was I mean, it barely qualifies as a podcast. Is Hardcore History by Dan Carlin, which I'm still a massive fan of, but that's basically him audio recording his own history books. Like, <laughs> <laughs> so it this the current? You know what? You know what we can say is it was pre serial. Um, And Serial was like the moment that podcasts went bananas. So yeah, we're pretty proud of our little shitty WordPress page. Um, (laughs) But yeah, it's been great. And 10 years is quick when you're talking to your friends.
0: I mean, so I talked a little about it in the intro, but tell us what Literary Disco is. Tell us a little bit about the show.
1: Sure. So um, the idea behind Literary Disco is it's a podcast about books and the idea that I am really attached to still to this day is that people don't read in one way. Like they don't read all romance and Pulp Fiction, and they don't read all Charles Dickens, and they don't read all poetry. Most people who love reading read around, right? Like they read uh, murder mystery, and then they read a YA book that they're nostalgic about, and then they take on you know, House of Leaves or something. And that's how I read. And that's how my co-host Totten Ryder read. So we wanted a podcast that actually reflected that, that reflected different kinds of books, different kinds of readers. And we also want to take on great books and less great books for fun. Um, and that was fun, too. You know, we're not just reviewing. We're, like, actually reading and chewing on what, we, what we've what we just experienced. Uh, so, yeah, we've done a lot. We also occasionally play games, um, which it's been a while since we've done that. But um, that's a good time. A little wait, wait, don't tell me vibe in there. And we also um recently the last few episodes we did we tried to take really deep dives into specific genres and talk to authors i mean we randomly once interviewed george saunders which was like a life highlight
0: seriously
1: (laughs) (laughs) um but yeah we just we do whatever um because that's how people read that's how people experience culture and i'm proud of that i'm proud of our scattered approach to to literature
0: I went, I went down the list of past episodes to try and pull out because you guys turned me on to a lot of great books that oh, I either, either knew about and hadn't read or had never knew about train dreams by Dennis Johnson. Five days at Memorial. Great book. Uh, Tinkers mm. Lincoln and the mm-hmm. Bardo. Uh, speaking of killers, of the flower moon, which is becoming a movie. I know. Nick. So sorry. I did the middle March uh, read with you guys. a few Oh years my back. God.
1: Amazing.
0: <laughs> you uh,
1: are a fan.
0: I mean, that was that was one of those books, listeners. If you don't know Middlemarch, it's about a million pages long. <laughs> and It I was actually, one of those I had wanted to read it, and that gave me a good excuse.
1: And what'd you think? Oh, I loved it. Of course, it's it. amazing. It's yeah. amazing.
0: <laughs> so I know exactly how
1: I know you want to jump in, but I know exactly how long Middlemarch is because this is one of my main COVID memories. Mm -hmm. Because my COVID denial was so strong. Um, It's 800 pages. And we were like, we'll do 100 pages a week, uh, which is good pace for a really chunky novel like that. Mm -hmm. And I was like, there's no way there's going to be eight weeks of COVID stuff. I was like, we're going to run out. (laughs) You know, like people will be back to normal. And then we got to, you know, page 840 or whatever the end of the book was. And
0: little did we know. I was rose days, <laughs>
1: <laughs> anyway, you go. go ahead
0: so so let's let's dive into a little bit about about bookshops. Now, usually yeah. on these shows, I, I'm interviewing a bookseller, mm-hmm. but I've started with the second season to bring in other bookish folks mm-hmm. like yourself. so so let's go back to go back to your uh your upbringing, your past, and talk about um how did your love of books begin?
1: My dad loved books, still loves books. Um and there was pretty much a blanket rule that I could always get a book at a store, you know. Um not like we were super rich or anything, but you know, my parents were going to say yes to a book if I asked for a book. So I remember that. Um but I don't really remember a time where I didn't absolutely obsessively love books i mean like these are very early memories for me of being like really into beverly cleary um really into even like early readers like learn to read books i remember some of them really well um and we also spend a lot of time tooling around like you know, antique shops with books in the back and yard sales with books in the back. And, you know, if books were around, we were going to make an attempt. And my parents also, when I was a little older, when I was like 11, my middle school was right next to the public library. And my mom worked in a building next to that. And we would just, my friends and I would just hang at the public library, killing a couple hours till my mom got off work. (laughs) um so i just spent a lot of time among books like uh always uh always and i remember my dad reading me books every night um and like falling asleep him falling asleep reading books because he was so tired um so yeah they were just everywhere really like all around me and i was very early strong convert and i remember i was just telling my niece this this is such a random fact. I, I feel. I feel in my memory, my teacher reaching. It was like every kid got an award at the end of second grade, and mm-hmm. my award was reads the most animal themed books. <laughs> <laughs> just very into animals, so I just, I just drank them up. Yeah.
0: <laughs> what are some of your earliest memories of bookstores? Mine. Was I a remember.
1: Change. Yeah.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: what chain was yours
0: modern books in the mall
1: yes i was just gonna say mall so i'm from new jersey um so going to the mall is like an activity we've all seen mall rats i hope Mm -hmm. um and there was a i'm totally blanking on this chain but it was like a very small chain in the mall and i i can see it In my mind's eye at this moment, um, like picking out Sweet Valley Kids books at this mall bookstore or Saddle Club, which was a series about girls who rode horses. Um, They had like all the nice shiny series and I would go and carefully pick out my mall books. You know how it is. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. So I think that's my earliest bookstore. And then like on vacation, and I still do this, you know, if there's a... Bookstore in like a cute little vacation town, Mm -hmm. we are going in. That is, that's a rule. That's a rule. So, bookstores in Cape Cod and Maine, um, that I still go to, to be honest, um, (laughs) those were also places where we would really like, you know, kill an hour and just Mm -hmm. hang out in there.
0: Well, that's how this project got started. It was a hashtag when I would travel, you know, amazing. instead Instead of hunting out the restaurants, I would hunt out the bookshops. Got to do it. That kind of the pandemic transformed it into a podcast since I wasn't able to go anywhere. (laughs) Great. (laughs) So now where do you live now and what are some of your neighborhood favorite bookshops?
1: Do you ever wish you could sit in on a conversation with some of your favorite authors and listen to them talk about their writing process, their path to publication, and of course their newest novels? Hi, I'm Marissa Meyer, best-selling author of the Lunar Chronicles, and I would love for you to check out the Happy Writer podcast, where every week I talk with other writers about books, craft, inspiration, and how to bring a little more joy into our lives. The Happy Writer is available wherever you get your podcasts, or find us on Instagram at Happy Writer Podcast. Yeah, so I live in Hartford, Connecticut, and. All right, let me, so before I lived here, I lived in New York City. Now, this isn't recent. I lived in New York in 2007 and 2008, but I would go to bookstores there so obsessively that (laughs) McNally Jackson, a great bookstore, um, offered me a job (laughs) just because (laughs) I was physically there all the time. Um, but I moved away, uh, right at that time, but, um,
0: so you didn't take here, the job.
1: I didn't, I totally oh. should have. I, I mean, then I wouldn't be here, but I'll tell you, this is my most, um, thrilling bookstore relationship. And the minute you wrote to me, I knew that I had to tell you about this. Um, and I have to connect you with my friend. Um, so I worked downtown New York, um, And I was like a five-minute – my office was a five-minute walk from Three Lives and Co., which is a really popular, super tiny bookstore um, in the city. And I love this bookstore so much. Uh, Writers love this bookstore. Like you can catch writers in there scoping out their own books and stuff. But there was a bookseller there who was my age we were both in our early twenties and the staff recommendations table was so amazing at this bookstore oh. um, that I eventually started just going to her. Her name's Maura Wang. Hi, Maura. I'll send you this. Oh. Um, and I would just ask her to recommend, she would just choose a book for me um, oh. like once a week for maybe a year. And I'm still friends with her. Oh. Um we exchanged information, we never hung out, but I would just go and say like, "Okay, I finished I captured the castle or Stoner, all these amazing books." Um, and she would just hand me the next one, and it was so fantastic. So, that was my New York bookstore experience. Um You remember
0: some of the other titles that she would recommend to you?
1: Oh gosh, okay. Um those two definitely. Um Which are excellent books,
0: by the way. They're um,
1: incredible. Yeah. Um, Oh, Fun Home. I think that was the first one. She gave me Fun Home or I picked it up off the staff table.
0: Um, You know what's funny is that all three of these books I have read and loved, but I must have read and loved them after hearing you guys talk about them. Yeah.
1: So this is why I have to do your podcast is because a bookseller told me, read this, you know, and like forget browsing after that after someone recommends those three books to you wildly different books three different genres basically Mm -hmm. all life-changingly amazing um and there were you know, why would you ever trust your own judgment? You just say, more Maura, tell, tell me <laughs> what to read. Um, and it, she was amazing. And I still text with her to this day, to this day. And that well, Maury,
0: was- Maura, you've clearly helped me too. In fact, yeah. I opened my own shop now and all three of those books have been a staff pick of mine.
1: Incredible. Um, <laughs> that will make her so happy to hear. Uh, she is awesome. And I was really sad to leave that situation. So I moved to Connecticut. And um, I live in Hartford, and it's it's kind of a Barnes & Noble situation here, although there are other bookstores. Um, so I am not anti-Barnes Noble. When there's a book desert, I will go to Barnes & Noble. I take my daughters there a lot, like every couple weeks. We just spend time in Barnes & Noble, snacking and shopping for books. <laughs> um but there are the bookstore that i love the most here in connecticut is called rj julia have you heard of it yet
0: i or have I the heard first? of it
1: yeah really just good. through social
0: media i have not visited
1: yeah really really good and they have a um they have one on the shoreline and then they have a second location near to me that's actually the wesleyan uh, campus bookstore. And that is just fantastic because it's full of coffee and students pretending to work, but not working, which is a vibe I love (laughs) (laughs) and just really good books, really good books. So that is, it's honestly my number one, like I need some alone time. I have to escape my family and my life. That, that is where I go. Mm -hmm. Um, it's wonderful. And there's a couple other, there's a new bookstore that opened in West Hartford near me, but I haven't been there yet. Um, and then there's a black owned bookstore called key books. That's really good that I've experienced at like fairs and stuff. So there's a few, um, and we all try to support them as much as possible. Um, but it's not the same as like, you know, when you go to Portland or you go to New York or even parts of. Maine I'm like oh man I want this I want this like so many bookstores everywhere and that you could just manifest them in your mind be like I ho- I hope there's a bookstore in this da- downtown and there it is in <laughs> Connecticut that's more of a Dunkin Donuts experience you can find a Dunkin Donuts
0: <laughs> anywhere you want <laughs> what are some, what are some shops that stick out in your mind from your travels to other other states
1: um there's one I totally should have prepared this. Okay, so my family recently moved to Bath, Maine, and they have a fantastic bookstore in downtown Bath. I'm going to Google it while we talk.
0: Okay.
1: Um, and that's that's a new favorite of mine. They have great kids' books, which is very important to me right now. <laughs> um, I love Powell's books. I love The Strand in New York, which is just mecca, but can be kind of overwhelming.
0: You know, I, um, when I went to New York, I don't know, eight or 10 years ago, I didn't make it to any bookshops, but the Strand was one I really wanted to get to. I'm, I still kick myself.
1: It's kind of, you know, shop isn't even an appropriate word. It's like, I don't even know. It's, it's like a IKEA of books, but used <laughs> books. It's so huge and whole rooms of, you know, true crime and things like that. Just really the amount of books is so uh, incredible. So size-wise,
0: um, compare it to PALS, because I've been to PALS a few times in Portland, and it's massive, you know. They hand you maps when you walk in.
1: Yeah. Um. Probably about the same number of books but the rooms in the strand are humongous like you feel like you're walking into the vatican or something (laughs) it's the vatican um okay so the bookstore in bath Maine, that's really great is called mockingbird it's really simple but Mm -hmm. um just great selection so the simpler smaller bookstores are often really good because the booksellers have to like pinpoint exactly what they want in there Mm -hmm. um which is nice and then um, we recorded a literary disco episode in the last bookshop,
0: I which remember I really that. loved. Yeah. In LA.
1: Yeah, in LA.
0: Yep. Really cool shop. Yeah, great shop. You need get them on here. <laughs> yeah, totally. Let me ask you this because I once went into a bookshop in DC and I was explaining that I do this and the the bookseller asked me, what do you look for when you walk into a bookshop? Mm. What an interesting question. So, what do you look for when you walk into a bookshop? Coaching Conversation
1: 2024. This podcast is 100% dedicated to leadership and leadership within the workplace coaching area. We work with companies throughout the world teaching leaders how to coach their employees. This podcast is dedicated to teaching specific strategies, frameworks, coaching models, and now artificial intelligent strategies to help leaders drive greater teamwork, collaboration, cooperation, greater attitudes, better motivation, coaching career development, just to name a few. I hope you'll check out our podcast. I mean, I kind of teased it, but staff recommendations, I'm like going to the staff recommendation area for two reasons one if i see books that i like in the staff recommendation that i'm like okay then this is then i understand that i'm in a place that might have some overlapping tastes with myself mm-hmm. um oh another great bookshop sorry i'm interrupting myself there's a really good one in downtown mystic um connecticut that's also really great uh anyway um Okay, so I want great staff recommendations. I like a place to sit if I want to read. Like, I prefer, like, a table situation so I can stack up some books and aggressively browse them. Um, That's always fun. Um, But really, yeah, I try to... I try to meet the bookstore where they're at and go in with no expectations. It's kind of like a treasure hunt, like, oh, what am I going to find in here? And what's this bookstore going to reveal to me that I haven't seen before? Because I have a couple of thousand books here in my apartment. Um, so finding a new favorite book is really a very exciting experience.
0: That was kind of mm-hmm. my answer to her. I, I'm looking for whatever it gives me, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And I, I will take what comes.
1: Mhm.
0: Now I always ask this question to booksellers and I I've modified it when I'm when I have a guest on who's not an <laughs> actual bookseller. And but I have listeners tell me I love when your your guests tell us their favorite books to recommend to customers. So if you had a bookshop, what were what would be some of your go-to staff pick choices that you would love to hand sell to customers?
1: That is such a good question because it has to be a book that isn't so generic that it's boring but could probably appeal to a lot of people so when i don't know how you feel but when people ask me they'll be like julia you love books recommend me a book i'm like hmm. okay you gotta I do That's a, a personality question. profile <laughs>
0: yeah
1: <laughs> um but some that are coming to mind that i think a lot of people love um are cersei by madeline miller Mm-hmm um i just at this mystic bookstore last summer picked up the comic series paper girls have you read it
0: no Mm -mm.
1: i think i never got to yak about it on the podcast because that's when we were doing other stuff but um paper girls is such an interesting graphic novel um really great like if you like watchmen or Stranger Things, but you wish it was more about Teen Girls, you'll love this. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, really good, really good. Uh, let's see, what else would I recommend to anybody? I have so many favorites. Oh, you know who I'm really into right now? Um, I've read every single book that he's written in the last couple of years is Anthony Horowitz. He does murder mysteries, he took over. Not took over. He was allowed by the Sir Arthur Conan Doyle estate to write Sherlock Holmes mysteries.
0: Really? Okay. Which is a
1: big deal. Like they authorized him to write a couple um, new Sherlock Holmes books. So he did that. And they're great. I read those. I read the
0: Doyle books. So I and I've read some that other writers have written. But I yeah, read so his. he
1: wrote Moriarty and then House of Something. Um, my brain is gone. I have kids now. Words fly away. <laughs> um, well, I know of
0: Moyardi. I know of it. Yeah. I just, uh, read it. Okay. So
1: he did that, but then he wrote. The, he has these two other series. um One is he writes a mystery within a mystery, so it's literally two books um so someone like discovers a manuscript and that's a mystery but the person discovering the manuscript is also solving a mystery by reading the book um so kind of like an escape room kind of vibe but they're actually all of these things sound really cheesy but they're very very good he's such a good writer so i would recommend him very highly because it's very accessible as subject matter but the quality of the writing is incredible so, yeah, those would be my top three today. Cersei, Paper Girls, and anything by Anthony Horowitz.
0: I love how you tacked on the word today because <laughs> mind changes all the time.
1: <laughs> Whatever is, nothing's in my eyesight right now, but um, if something was, it would make the list. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I was going to kind of back up and talk a little bit about something that you used to talk about on the podcast quite a bit. You used to work at the Mark Twain house, correct? I did for a long time tell us a little bit about that experience
1: yeah so the mark twain house is a historic house um in hartford a lot of people don't know that twain of all the places he lived he lived around the world but of all the places he lived he lived in hartford the longest he lived here for 17 years and he lived here at the height of his fame and wealth and happiness Um, which is that and the happiness part is significant um so he has a mansion here um it's absolutely beautiful it is decorated in such a cool interesting way and then there's a museum built next to it it was built before my time but the museum is not incredibly old maybe like 20 ish years old don't quote me on that um But yeah, I worked, I came in as an intern um, to learn marketing. And then I ended up founding the writing, a whole like set of writing programs. So my boss who was in charge of marketing and programs would bring in writers. First it was local writers. Then the writers got bigger and bigger as we got some momentum going Um, and we got a chance to meet and interview some really amazing writers who love Twain. I mean, Twain is so important to American history and literature. It really like can't be overstated. He's kind of the inventor of standup comedy in America. Um, he's written in every genre from uh, everyone knows his fiction and nonfiction, but there's poetry, there's playwriting, there's some really weird shit. Um, he just did a ton. So there's a lot of material to work with with Twain. and super interesting. His next door neighbor, like you could throw a rock and break a window, um was Harriet Beecher Stowe, who wrote Uncle Tom's Cabin. really. Um they were there at the same time. She was older, but they knew each other. So it's called this little tiny area in Hartford is called Nook Farm. You can visit both um historic houses at the same time. And working there, I mean, it was an amazing experience. It is. A hundred percent why do anything cool today is just sort of accidentally (laughs) walking into this internship and given a lot of agency to interview people and work with writers and create writing programs.
0: Do you have a favorite Mark Twain piece of writing book or whatever?
1: Oh gosh. Um, Lamest answer, but I mean, I love Huck Finn. I, it is so Wonderful. And as a nonfiction memoir person, the the way, even though it's fiction, the way that the voice is living in Huck is so cool and wonderful. And, you know, you can learn a lot about voice reading Huck Finn. Um, I also really like his short nonfiction pieces that he got famous on, The Innocents Abroad. Um, he went on like cruise ship, a cruise, you know, in the eighteen whatevers. Um, so, really like a a European tour. But there, it's really mocking Americans who are tourists, and it truly holds up. In
0: <laughs> a I have deep that on my way. shelf, and I have not read it. So
1: it's I good, yeah. And you it. don't even have to read it cover to cover. It's definitely a, like it's a column, so mm-hmm. pick it up and. Read a little bit here and there. Um, But right now, actually, I'm working on reviving. um, We did a program called R-Rated Twain, taking out um, a bunch of his, like, really R-rated stuff and putting it all together as, like, a stage reading. So I'm reminded of his very weird thoughts on, like, sexuality and, like, his absolute hostility towards Jane Austen. Um, Which is hilarious, you know, very hilarious, but very mean. So, yeah, I've got got that on the mind just this week.
0: Yeah, I wasn't talking about Twain being everywhere and so important. I was in Bozeman, Montana a few weeks ago, walking down the street and there's a Twain (laughs) statue just sitting on a bench.
1: I would love to know how many Twain statues there are (laughs) (laughs) because I've heard a version of that story more times than I could possibly tell you. My thought Um, was, is
0: there some sort of significance to him in the city? Or was it just.
1: Like he was here once. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's funny because there's. I live in New England. So, like, there's so many, like. George Washington walked by this pub one day. But there's not like a statue of him outside. But with Twain, if he was there, (laughs) somebody made a statue. Or a statue of him, like, sitting on a bench in Palm Springs. He's he's absolutely everywhere. And there's actually four different Twain. Twain. sites for 4 they're not all homes but there's four different places that kind of claim like we're the mark twain spot um Mm -hmm. and that relationship between the four of them is just absolutely fascinating um i don't want to talk out of turn (laughs) oh hell yeah this is this is a joke only writers would love so i mean my beloved mark twain house which i'm very loyal to and i love it but Before me, this is a design choice that just makes me laugh every time I think about it. Um, So it's called the Mark Twain House and Museum. Mm -hmm. But the director at the time asked the designer to make it so that the V is italicized. So it's (laughs) the Mark Twain House and Museum. And I think that was not taken well by the other three.
0: That seems like something the general public (laughs) wouldn't quite get the uh perhaps get the intention there.
1: Yeah, it's (laughs) like why is this weird italicized word? Well, because we got beef (laughs) with three other Mark Twain houses. It's absurd.
0: (laughs) I want to go back real quick, total change of of subject. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you talked a little bit earlier about um you know you you go to your Barnes and Noble, your local Barnes and Noble frequently. And I had a guest on a couple episodes back who had worked for 20 years at a Barnes & Noble before then opening his own indie. So we mm. talked a lot about what he felt the differences were between the two kind of environments. What are your thoughts as a customer between the experience you get at a chain shop like that versus walking into you know the smaller indie?
1: Okay, well, I mean obviously the indie is better every time. Um all, i mean i can think of specific things so like at my indie store rj julia you know like they i'm a member of the, like kids book club i'm at barnes and noble too but it like they really like take care to make sure that we're getting the discounts that we should have and that they like are really I don't know. They like say hi. They're really friendly. Whereas Barnes and Noble, poor Barnes and Noble, they have all these giant spaces and they're probably, they honestly probably have the same or less number of staff than an indie bookstore. So it's like, you always have to look around to find someone. It's, and it's just like huge. And my big beef with Barnes and Noble right now is that they are transforming into a toy store. (laughs) (laughs) that's great i love toys but i have to walk a five-year-old by all this other shit before they see so the kids book. books it's <laughs> always in the back you know the kids yeah. section is always behind like funko pops and barbies
0: yeah. and I my local that my local chain money i have a books and sorry to interrupt you i have a books a million no, Is my local chain i don't know if you've been in one of those but it's kind of the same thing yeah. You kind of wade through a lot of toys and gift items and other things before you get to the books.
1: <laughs> yeah. And I love, honestly, I love toys. I love buying toys. I think to me, books are toys. So, whatever, you know.
0: Oh, I have two Cyndi Lauper Funko Pops right above my head.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, and a Jessica Cindy. Fletcher one. <laughs> I only have one. Funko Pop, and it is... I don't know what possessed me. I was just like, I must have this. It was the Game of Thrones Ice Dragon, and the Night King is riding him. It's just very okay. cute. It's very evil and very cute. Um, But yeah, I think Barnes & Noble, you know, they are holding it down in terms of if there's a new book you really need to have, if there's a book you need that day, and you don't want to do Amazon, you know, um, Barnes and Noble should exist. Um, but boy, do I wish that there were more indies um, around me because I would spend a lot of money at them. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I mean, quantity alone shops like your Barnes and Nobles and Books a Million, just yeah, they're going to win out in that comparison. Most yeah, of the and time they to an they
1: also are. This is also important. Um, they're powerful. Um, mm-hmm. I had a friend whose book. Uh, my friend is Megan Mayhew Bergman, and she's written some absolutely incredible short story collections. And her first one, "Birds of a Lesser Paradise," was a Barnes and Noble pick, and it really like launched her in an amazing way. Um, and she was just, I think, really grateful for that experience. So, you know, good for her. That's amazing. And we should have, I'm always of the belief that like more is better. It's not a zero sum game. It's not like all people will only shop at one bookstore. Obviously book lovers get around as evidenced by your (laughs) podcast. So if there's more bookstores, maybe more people will read more books. So let's do it. Let's get as many bookstores big and small as we can.
0: I don't know that I've gotten this candid on the podcast before, but I <laughs> I did a book about the Golden Girls, and Barnes and Noble was a big supporter of it and a big stalker of it, S T O C K E R. And but here's the difference: I did a lot of indie bookshops promoting it, and the traffic and the sales were so much better than. The chain uh events.
1: That is so cool. I love yeah. that.
0: And I think it was because at the Barnes and Noble or yeah, it was Barnes and Noble, you're kind of you walk in and you're surrounded by things to see and experience. Mm-hmm. And my little table, even though I was right in the front door, <laughs> people got lost because their eyes were going elsewhere. I think yeah. that was I think that really affected that experience.
1: Yeah, and anytime that's so interesting, and like the emotions of writers and people who make books is a really fascinating topic to me. Having worked with a million of them at the Mark Twain house, I'll put a pin in that. But I also think that when you go into any chain, like I could go into any target, right, and like have an expectation of exactly what I'm gonna do and buy, Mm -hmm. and like anything deviating from that, I'm kind of like but I'm here to buy baby formula and Halloween candy. Yeah. Like what, what's happening here. But when you go into an independent store of any kind, you're a certain, you're in a certain mood, you know, you're like, Ooh, I'm first of all, you're into yourself. Let's be real. You're like, (laughs) I support local books. I support small town. (laughs) (laughs) So you're in an elevated place um, that I I'm into. I think everyone should be very proud of themselves when they support local. Um, But you're also, I think more open-minded, you know, you're like, Oh, I'm going to find something unusual in here. So encountering a human being is going to be a lot more fun in an indie situation than when you're like, every Barnes and Noble is exactly the same. And I'm here for that experience that I'm familiar with and that I feel comforted
0: by, you know, that's very true. I guess I hadn't thought of it that way before, but you're right. I mean, if I go into target and, Something I'm looking for has been moved. I mean, just. You pissed. I do?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I think for me, finding the Barnes and Nobles around me in Connecticut, like moving from New York to Connecticut is a jarring experience no matter what. It's just a fact. There's even an I Love Lucy episode where they move to Connecticut and Lucy starts sobbing. And I watched that the day I moved (laughs) to Connecticut and I was like, what am I doing? Um, But you seek out these chains to feel like, okay, I have my bearings here. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's, does that make me a basic bitch? Totally. But that's reality. And that's (laughs) a lot of people (laughs) think. Um, But yeah, so let's, for a second, let's get back to writer's emotions. You know, like I really- yeah. I really learned over my time at the Twain house that some writers big and not big are super amazing and into events and signings and other writers. It's like, why are we torturing them? <laughs> we <can't laughs> do this. Um, and it, it makes me sad that we, um, ask this of writers. Like they do this you know, hard, solitary inner work. And then we literally make them parade around America for like months, you know, meeting people who are not always kind or friendly, um, signing books all day. That's tough. That's tough. And some people love it. I would love it, I think. Um, And some people just have to work really hard to pretend to love it.
0: Well, you gotta and be, a, you gotta have some tinge of, of, you gotta be a bit of an extrovert to some degree. And I think a lot of writers maybe aren't because it's such yeah. a solitary experience and you're also, yeah. pouring, you're pouring your emotions onto a page for all the world to judge as well. So there's that aspect of it.
1: Totally. I mean, I, we had, I've met so many cool writers through the Twain House and I'm actually interviewing Nick Hornby on Thursday. Really? Um for a public library that's just paying to have Nick Hornby, it's so cool. Hmm. But I mean, I think he's very extroverted. That's my understanding from seeing him out in the universe. Um so you have people like Nick Hornby who are interviewing and doing whatever and then I also interviewed now this was the high point of my whole entire life. I interviewed Joan Didion on stage.
0: Wow, how <laughs> was that?
1: Didion. It was amazing, but, um, you know, like, she's Joan Didion. She shouldn't have to do this. (laughs) That's that's my point of view, you know? Like, she's... First of all, she's so interior um, that that's, you know, like, that's her own vibe. But also, she had... Her last two books were at the time that I interviewed her her last two books were about grief and death so it's like we're going to parade this iconic elderly woman around and ask her about her daughter dying i mean it's a lot it's a yeah. lot
0: yeah doesn't make for necessarily a fun emotional evening i'm sure yeah
1: but it was incredible i mean she was so kind to me um she has since passed away but it was I mean, I was so intimidated. I read all her books. I had already loved her, which is why I was the one who got to interview her. Mm -hmm. Um, And only a week earlier, I interviewed Judy Bloom too. So those two back-to-back events were just huge for me Um, and just a lot of fun, a lot of fun to do. Hmm.
0: I have some of the big authors that I have seen interviewed that were really, really great at it were Neil Gaiman. Oh yeah, um, R.L. Stein.
1: I met him. He's Henry. so nice. <laughs>
0: <laughs> this one's supr- Well, it didn't surprise me that he was entertaining because he is an entertainer. But just the fun I had, Henry Winkler. You know the Fonz. Oh yeah, writes middle grade, uh, middle grade fiction.
1: That is so cool. I did not know that. I would love. I to I didn't meet either. Him. He
0: came to our book festival here in my in my city a few years back, and I thought, huh? okay. I think he has a is memoir that, actually coming out uh soon, I think. Cool. Yeah.
1: I was a big happy days girl when it was on Nick at Night. Um, I've seen a lot of happy days. Um, <laughs> the author that I think is that I would most want to spend time with again is George Saunders. He was so kind and like present. He's a teacher, so. You know, a, a lot of writers are teachers, but he's like a teacher, like a, his calling is teaching. So even though he is such an incredible fiction and nonfiction writer, um, he just likes talking to people and he doesn't talk down to people. He's wonderful.
0: Yeah, that episode he you guys good. did with him was really, really enjoyable.
1: Yeah, because he's nice. <laughs> Being nice is... Um, a really important quality. Yeah,
0: it's <laughs> I wish more people knew that. <laughs> yes. So as we come to the end of these conversations, um, I always I always ask this question. And when I started this bookstore explore thing years ago, you would ask people about it and they would say, Oh, bookstores are magical places. And it came up so often that I ask every guest, if you hear that phrase that a bookstore is a magical place, what does it mean to you?
1: Hmm. Okay, that's a great question. Um What it means is that there's little portals to other worlds and other minds all around you. I mean, every single, you know, square inch of that place is like the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. It's like you open a cover and where are you going to go? That's what's magical about a bookstore, Um, And somehow it's more magical than other media. I think it's because it's both physical and, as I'm saying, like kind of metaphysical at the same time. Um, And you can move wherever you want to move. And there's a lot of like fate and destiny and what you choose and what you pick up. And some freaks open up to the middle or even the last page of a book because they're crazy. Uh- <laughs> uh, I can't do that. <laughs> but,
0: um,
1: I, I think it's so wonderful that you can kind of like go and pick up these talismans. You know, like the image that's coming to mind is the beginning of the never-ending story. Um, any, uh, any of the movies of that era where like a kid enters... A giant library and you have to open a huge book and then you're sucked in you know I am still a hundred percent of that mindset like any bookstore big or small is that experience for me every single time
0: I like that you compared it to other media because I was telling somebody the other day that I don't like to read horror but then I started thinking wait I've read this and this and this and this maybe it's that I maybe it's that I do read horror but I don't like to watch it. I don't like to experience it visually. <laughs> I guess my imagination, yes. I'm a chicken, my imagination envisions it more tamely than seeing it on my screen.
1: I have definitely been on this. I think we talked about this on a literary disco episode. Horror is very different based on the medium. Um, that's such a duh. But other mediums, I think, you know, can translate better, like romance can kind of slide with a similar feel between book and movie or tv mm-hmm. um and then things that are literary fiction sometimes work really well like um the novel Fleischman is in trouble was made into a tv show and the tv show is amazing um but anyway horror you know horror has to be a physical reaction and it's just works differently on paper and in the movies. If you're a chicken, I mean, I think it's less scary <laughs> to read a scary book than to I see agree. a scary movie. Yeah. And I've been listening to horror audiobooks. That's the okay. real middle. That's the middle ground. So give it a shot.
0: <laughs> so before we go, what's coming up next for you? Do you have anything you want to promote? Is literary yeah. disco coming back? Please say that eventually it is. <laughs>
1: Oh my gosh, I wish I could answer this. I knew you were going to ask me. Um, I'll tell you this, it's not not coming back. Um, (laughs) There's no hardcore plan, but we do love each other quite a lot. I talked to Todd and Ryder. I was talking to them today about Nick Hornby getting their advice on my interview. Um, So let me dispel some rumors that I'm making up. Um, We didn't have a falling out. (laughs) It didn't get canceled. None of that happened. We just got really busy doing other things. And I I had a second baby and I'm trying to revive my improv theater that I run um, from post pandemic. So that turns out takes up a lot of time. Um, and But I'm the least cool of the three of us by far. Ryder started doing a Boy Meets World pos- podcast called Pod Meets World. That is like, that's like a full-time job. And then Todd finished up his um, amazing series of books um, about a rabbi hitman. He is, he is done now. Um, he is also re- running a writer's program um, at UC Riverside where he teaches. So he's... Of the three of us, like the most working writer and doing amazing things. Um, I think his new novel
0: came out in September, right?
1: Yes, just came out. Um, So, yeah, I hope to be back. I'll put it that way. I hope to be back. I think if we do come back, it will be. We'll have a lot of explaining to do. Um, (laughs) And it would probably, my guess would be, it would just be like sliding back in like, oh, sorry guys. Wow, what was that?
0: <laughs> because well, you kind of had this shtick going where you like weren't really predictable anyway, right? It was just no, whenever you got never. around to doing one.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, we were never consistent. And, you know, it's very hard to be um, a real human being and put out a regular product. All, all the people who are doing podcasts now, who are doing like, a six episode series, and then they stop forever. We're like, oh yeah, that, that seems good. That seems good. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, we're not vanished. Come find us publicly. Um, And I personally would love to continue to connect with the literary disco audience. I have goals. I have stuff I want to do. So come find me. On my Instagram, Julia Pastel, and I will take you somewhere that I'm determining now. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and and listeners, I'm... there are 10 years worth of fantastic episodes of Literary Disco to go back. And then maybe by the time they get through those, you should just do one without acknowledging the fact that you've been gone a while.
1: <laughs> That's probably what I would do.
0: Yeah, Just play just, it cool. Just act like you had just pulled one out. <laughs> I will, will you... say-
1: Hmm. I will say one more thing. Um one thing that Ryder and I have talked about several times, um as soon as we stopped reporting, I am ashamed to admit this, we all started reading way less. Um because having any kind of consistent practice where you're talking about books
0: mm-hmm.
1: makes you read, you know? Yeah. Um and it didn't feel like I was reading so much I couldn't live or something before. But Everyone who loves books should have something like a podcast, a book club, even just like a library meetup and like some cool bars are doing like a silent reading club where you just go yeah, and I've drink and this. read by yourself. Mm-hmm. I'm so Sounds into that. That's
0: perfect for me.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Because it really helps you read more. And this is the literary disco thing. Like read widely, read things that you wouldn't have read, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, So I need something to bring me back to my previous
0: incredible levels of reading. Here's a question. The last one that I just thought of as you were saying that. If, If tomorrow all three of you said, hey, let's do an episode or, you know, next week or whenever, what would be the book you would want? To share with the audience right now, mm. not to put you on the spot or anything, but
1: yeah, you know. okay, let's see. Um, I am reading. I'm reading so many things simultaneously, which is my that's tough my for me. I'm kind problem. of a one
0: at a time kind of person.
1: That's I admire that. I've got <laughs> like all these half dead experiences everywhere. Um, I was reading, I need to finish this, a really, really good book called American Wolf about the history of wolves in Yellowstone National Park. Nature writing, nonfiction. So cool and interesting. Um, That is definitely what I will finish before we ever (laughs) do an episode again. I will finish this book to talk about it.
0: So Julia, thanks for coming on the show. It's been fantastic to uh, to get to know you a little better and to to see and hear your voice again since you've been on a little bit of a hiatus with the disco. But uh, thanks for coming on.
1: Thanks for giving me the chance to speak to everyone again.
0: Bookstore Explorer is produced and hosted by me, Matt Browning. Our theme music is Come Right Back to You by Max Hickson. You can follow all my bookstore explorations at bookstoreexplorer.com or on Instagram and Facebook at Bookstore Explore. And follow us on Twitter at BookstoreEXPLR. Thanks for listening.